Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Hallelujah. Well, we're talking about revival praying. Amen. Glory to God. Let's go over to Romans chapter 20, uh, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 26, where we were this morning. This is where we closed off. And uh, this is a continuation of what we were talking about this morning. Hallelujah. We're talking about prayer uh, in the Spirit. Amen. Praying by the Spirit, energized by the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We've been in a prayer revival of our prayer move for several years, and then it's brought revival to our church uh, this year. And he's teaching us more about prayer as we're able to receive it and lay hold of it. We read this morning where the apostle in, uh, in Hebrews was saying that uh, uh, there was more to say, but it was hard to say it because sometimes people are dull of hearing. And then he said, but we'll move on if the Lord permits. And evidently the Lord was permitting because in the next chapter he moved on into what he wanted to talk about. So the Lord is permitting, amen, us to move forward in prayer and discuss some things, amen. Now, if you look at uh, the, the eighth chapter of Romans, verse 26, it says, likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, the Spirit helps us. We know from previous studies that this word in the Greek, this word that's translated help, is a real long uh, compound word. And if you put all the words together, it means to take hold together with against. To take hold together with against. Well, if you read it that way, likewise, the Spirit also takes hold together with who? Us. Against our weaknesses. Well, not just all kinds of weaknesses, but though I'm sure he, he would if, if that was necessary. But in this verse, he's talking about a particular kind of weakness, and it's a prayer weakness. And then he describes what that weakness is, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Like we've said so often, we, we know to pray. Oftentimes we know what to pray about, but we don't know how to pray about it as we ought to know. Because the Holy Spirit knows all sides of the equation. And uh, very often when we're asked to pray about something, or even if it's in our own life, and we're praying about a situation, we're praying one side of the, uh, of the equation, and we're praying with limited understanding of what the real need is. But God sees the thing all the way around, and that's why we need his help to pray accurately and to pray as we ought to pray. Amen? Now, we, we said this morning that uh, when we do not know how to pray as we ought, the Holy Spirit helps us. He takes hold together with us against this prayer weakness in two ways. Number one, he gives us utterance in other tongues. We just mentioned this, but I think it would be good to go over and look at 1 Corinthians Chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, hallelujah. 
Verse number two says, for he who speaks in a tongue. And of course, if you look at this chapter, uh, uh, he's talking about prayer, praying in other tongues. And in this verse, he says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Well, if you're speaking to God, that's prayer. Isn't that right? So he's talking about praying in other tongues. For he who speaks or prays in, in tongues does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. That would include the person doing the speaking. Isn't that right? Jump over to chapter 14, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. The Amplified adds this thought that's consistent with with, uh, the idea here, though it's not in the original text. The Amplified says, for my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. But notice, my understanding is unfruitful. That just simply means when the Holy Spirit is helping me to pray in other tongues, I don't know what I'm praying about. My understanding, I don't understand all that's being said. So go back to verse number two. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one, including himself, understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Well, this is saying the same thing that... Uh, Romans 8.26 says, but just says it differently. In that, that part of it where the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses when we do not know what to pray about, the Holy Spirit helps us. Now, usually we use, go back over to uh, Romans again. Usually we will uh, look at verse 26 Uh, to describe how the Holy Spirit helps us when we don't know what to pray about and we talk about praying in other tongues. The reason we use this verse, and like I said this morning, this verse isn't specifically, specifically talking about tongues. This verse is talking about groanings. But we use this verse in connection with tongues because it, it, it better clarifies or makes this idea more clear about not knowing what to pray for as we ought. That's the reason uh, very often uh, me and other people uh, will use this verse and use it to illustrate praying in other tongues. Because uh, as we've seen in chapter 14, verse 2, when you're praying in other tongues, you're praying divine secrets. Well, you, you don't know what you're praying about. Amen. So, so it's saying the same thing in regard to not knowing what to pray about and the Holy Spirit helping you to pray. So one way the Holy Spirit helps you to pray is in other tongues. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14. But then in this verse, he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us uh, and makes intercession for us with groanings, groanings which cannot be uttered. We looked at some different translations. Uh, The New English Bible says, But through our inarticulate groans, the Spirit himself is pleading for us. Notice who's doing the groaning. Through our inarticulate groans, the Spirit himself is pleading for us. Philip's translation says, In these agonizing longings which cannot find words. The Amplified Bible says, Unspeakable yearnings and groanings too deep for utterance. English Standard Version says, with groanings too deep for words. The Weymouth translation says, in yearnings that can find no words. So this is a, uh, an element 
of prayer, a degree, a, a, a level of praying. And I have found that uh, it's possible for the Holy Spirit to move upon you. Uh, it's possible that he would move upon you and take you from no praying and right into to, to this groaning. You understand that, that this might sound strange to people, but this is, this is New Testament. Does the Spirit help us with groanings? And, and are we the ones who offer up these groanings before God? Yes, we do. We see that. But I have noticed that the Holy Spirit doesn't just start me out right there. I'm not saying he couldn't or that he never does, but it's been my experience that it's a progression that I begin to pray in the spirit with other tongues. And the more I yield to the Holy Spirit when it's necessary, it's not always necessary. It's not gonna always be necessary. Amen. And so when it is necessary, as I yield myself to praying in other tongues, sometimes and, and like I said, uh, I've gone on, uh, and I do go on sometimes for, for a little while, some, some a length of time, and I don't have any of this because there's no need for it. But then from time to time, I find that it happens. Uh, just, you know, kind of unexpectedly as I give myself to prayer, I find myself in uh, increasingly uh, sensing the burden of, of, of the situation. And when I come to the end of tongues, where tongues cannot uh, express what needs to be expressed, I sense that just right down on the inside of me, there's this deep yearning and, this, and a groaning begins to arise up out of my spirit. And, and what is it like? Well, it's exactly the way it says, it's groaning. It's a groaning and a, and a, and a yearning from the inner man and it comes by the spirit of God. For it says the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, they can't be uttered, they can't be articulated. It's not, it's not actual language, it's, a, it's a, a, a groaning, but the Holy Spirit knows what is the meaning of the groaning. They're not intelligible to us, but they're intelligible to him. He understands what is being presented. It's one of the ways the Holy, Spirit's work, Holy Spirit works, and not too many people know much about it. Not too many people in the body of Christ know much about it at all. Not very many spirit-filled Christians know much about it. But in order for us to have the move of God and have everything that must be uh, ours in these last days, this is part of what is involved in these last days in praying. Amen? Uh, like I said, tongues and, and groanings uh, often work together. And, and uh, when I said when the groanings happen, they, they, they work together with the tongues. Now, it's not always necessary, like I said, to have uh, the, the spirit to move this way. It's not always necessary. These groanings are not something that, that, you'll, or that you're going to experience necessarily all the time or every day. Now, I have known of people... I've known of people, not known anybody personally, but I've known of people who God especially used this way. And, uh, and Brother Hagin talked about a woman that uh, uh, in a church that he preached 
uh, in a number of years ago. And, and, and uh, there was a woman there that uh, later he went back. And I'll tell more about the story when I get to another section. But there was a woman there that was greatly used in, in uh, groaning. And the Spirit of God just flowed through her that way. So I'm not saying that with some people it might be more frequent. But generally speaking, I've found that it's not all that, uh, uh, that frequent or that uh, uh, often. It just comes from time to time. And that's what Brother Hagin said about his life, and that's been true in my life as well. Uh, it's not always necessary because the Holy Spirit knows what is required, and he will give us whatever spiritual uh, uh, burden and whatever spiritual uh, exercise or experience we need to get the job done. Amen. Stay yielded to the Holy Spirit. There have been many times in my life that great things have happened just through praying and making supplication. And we're talking about intercession. Uh, we're talking about supplication as well because the two work together. And um, uh, I remember just a, a, a number of years ago, Greg and Amy hadn't uh, Greg and Amy hadn't been married very long, and Amy was working as a uh, teller at a bank here in town. Oh, was it in Jacksonville? She anyway they they had I guess when they were living there, so they'd been out of Rama and come home. Anyway, they were living in Jacksonville. She was working as a teller at a bank, and uh, I just sensed uh, sort of an alarm in my spirit about about Amy, something about, I, I didn't know what it was about, but it, I had a sense that, that it had to do with her safety. And so I prayed about that and I just prayed in other tongues and gave myself to it. There were no groanings involved, but, but there was an urgency about it. And I prayed for a while. I don't know. It might've been about an hour. Uh, and, uh, and then it just sort of lifted. And so whatever it was, I, I knew that I had it. Well, I, you know, kind of uh, forgot about it. And I don't know if it was, I guess, the end of that day uh, when Amy got home, she, she, uh, she and Greg called and her bank had been robbed that day. And a man came up to the window with a gun. Well, that's a dangerous situation. And so sometimes the Lord will just have you pray that way about people and about situations. And sometimes you'll know what it's about. And other times you won't know. I would say most of the time I don't know for what I'm praying. And, and, and majority of the time I, I don't ever find out. Well, just because you don't know what happened as a result of praying that way, don't think it wasn't important. It was important. Amen. When uh, uh, the youth went skiing this past uh, uh, winter, uh, just before they left, I, uh, I, I had a sense that that. Uh, Greg's life would be in danger, that he'd have an accident while he was skiing. And it happened during the daytime, and I, and I prayed about it a little bit, but honestly, it, it wasn't that heavy of a burden. It was just a, a light thing. But I was aware of it, and I prayed a little bit about it and kind of dismissed it. Well, uh, either that night or the next night, it was a Wednesday night, when I went to bed, I woke up in the middle of the night and I'd had this dream. And when I had the dream, I immediately woke up. And the dream was that uh, I had now, Jack uh, was not in the youth department at that time. He just graduated out of the sixth grade this past May. And so he's graduated up into the youth department. But in February, he wasn't in the youth department. And so I took him with me skiing with the youth. But I really wasn't with the youth. I was just skiing. 
And I wasn't attending the services. I wasn't involved in chaperoning. I was just having fun. And so I took Jack with me. Well, in this, in this dream, Jack and I were skiing together and someone from, from the uh, youth group came with an, uh, uh, an urgent message said, Pastor Greg has run into a tree skiing. He hit a tree. He's on the ground. He's unconscious. He's not responding. It's really serious. And Jack and I were on the other side of the ski resort. And I remember Jack beginning to cry, you know, as we were trying to, to make our way. It takes some time to get out, you know, from the bottom part of a slope up and ski over to another side of the mountain. And uh, Jack was crying, you know, is my daddy going to be okay? Is my daddy going to be okay? And, and in the dream, I couldn't tell him because I didn't know. I didn't know what had happened. I, he might have already been dead for all I knew. And, uh, and so uh, I woke up. Well, when I woke up, then I, I got serious about that because he had already warned me once about it. And then I had this dream. So I prayed just quietly, just laying there in bed, in bed didn't disturb anybody, just lay there quietly, just praying. And I think I might have gotten up, you know, and went into the, to the living room for a few minutes, but it just didn't, it wasn't real loud. It wasn't, it, you don't have to be loud to be fervent. Amen. You don't, uh, in spiritual things, it's important that we don't work ourselves up. In spiritual things, it's important that we don't get into the natural trying to yield to the spirit and put on some kind of extra physical demonstration. And so uh, I just got, you know, I just prayed about it, but I prayed in earnest for, I don't know, a a while, maybe, maybe an hour. And then, and and then it lifted. Well, the next day in the office, I told Greg, I said, I told him about the dream. I said, now, I've had this twice. You, you need to be careful when you go skiing next week. Because we I think they were leaving the following week, you know. And uh, uh, I said, you need to be careful out there. And he looked at me and his eyes got real big around. He said, okay, okay. Well, well, after we got out there, he told me that Amy had had the same thing. She had picked up the same thing and she had prayed about it. Well, what if we hadn't prayed? What if we hadn't prayed? Well, you know, uh, uh, a lot of things. How does that old song go? Uh, uh, oh, what peace we forfeit. How does that go? What? Say it. Help me out. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we didn't take it to the Lord in prayer. A lot of things happen in life that shouldn't happen. And the Spirit of God warns us for a reason. Amen. And so these things will happen. I just give you some examples because I want you to see that it's not always something real. uh, There's not always that strong sense of urgency. Uh, A few years ago, uh, Amy was going to take Angela and I flying in her dad's little plane. Well, Angela doesn't like little planes. Now, we don't have a problem with flying. Neither my wife nor I are afraid to fly. We fly all the time. Uh, and when we fly, we usually, as a, as a habit, we usually join hands as we're sitting on the plane, and we usually claim, you know, a safe flight. And I, I, our main urgency is we're play, praying about our baggage. <laughs> That's what moves us more than anything else. We're praying that our bags will arrive with us at our destination. But we pray for safety and we just do that as a routine thing almost every time we pray. But we're not praying out of fear 
or we're not alarmed and we don't have a special leading that there's some impending disaster. We just do that as a habit. Well, well, Amy was going to take uh, Angela and me and, and you've never fl- flown on her plane. Well, Angela was going to fly that day. That was a big deal. It's Angela doesn't like small planes. And uh, I've flown with Amy a few times. Uh, uh, huh? Yeah, she's a good pilot. Her, her flight instructor said he, that she's the best pilot he's ever trained. And uh, she's an excellent pilot. So anyway, we got there that day and we got to the airport and there was uh, Miss, you know, Amy and Pastor Greg and Angela and I. And, and so we we're untying the, the airplane from the, sh- it was under, under a shelter, you know, it was roped down. We were untying it and she's checking the oil and we had to put some oil in the engine. I helped her do that and we're getting together. She's going through her pre-flight check. And uh, this particular day, she's going to let me sit up front. And so I could see, you know, everything. The, the airplane that her dad owns that she flies has very late, uh, 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 very sophisticated, up-to-date uh, uh, avionics. It's got all the same equipment on it that the big jets have. It's a very, it's not just two or three gauges. It's a big, you know, display. Like I said, it's very uh, sophisticated and up-to-date. And uh, so we're sitting on the plane and she's, you know, she's warming it up and she's going through a pre-flight check and there's a gauge that, you know, was supposed to be like here and it's down here, the, the, you know, the needle. And so she said, well, it'll warm up in a few minutes and the plane was warming up and it, the needle never came up. And, um, and so she starts tapping on the gauge. Yeah, I think that's a bad sign. <laughs> when a pilot starts thumping a gauge, I don't, I don't know, that just kind of bothers me. But anyway, she said, I don't know what's wrong with this thing. This isn't right. This thing's supposed to come up to a certain uh, point by this time, and it's not responding. So she's thumping on it, and she got out of all of her manuals, and she's going through the checklist for this troubleshoot, this particular uh, gauge. And I, you know, I don't know anything about flying. I know nothing about planes. And, um, and so I don't know what it affected, but she was concerned about it. So she said, well, let's, let's taxi on down, you know, to the, to the mechanic and let's let him look at it. So we taxied down past the, the main terminal. This is in the private airport, you know, the small airport. We passed the, the main terminal and went down to where the mechanic was, her, her mechanic. And uh, she got out and she went in and she told him. She said, the gauge is doing this and it's not coming up. And she described fully what was going on. He said, sometimes it'll do that. Don't worry about it. He said, you get up in the air. He said, that gauge will pop right back up. He said, don't, that's nothing to be concerned about. Well, the, the, I forgot to tell you, the day before we went flying, I had a sense that I needed to pray for Amy. Not about the flight. I had no alarm about the flight. But I just had a sense. I don't know what it is about Amy. I guess she needs my prayers a lot. I don't know. But I, I just sensed that, that I needed to pray for Amy. And so I spent some time praying for Amy, not about the plane or about the flight. I, had, I, didn't, re, I didn't relate the two things together at all. I'm just praying for Amy, and I, and I got you know, a sense that uh, everything was okay. Well, that day she, we drove up, and she got out. She went and talked to the mechanic. He didn't come out and look at the plane. She described what was going on, and he told her, don't worry about it. Uh, I've seen this before. It resolves itself. Go ahead. So she gets back in the plane, and... Uh, I don't, you know, the first, the first strip that you go, that you taxi out on, and then there's a connecting strip and then you turn and get on the one where you're going to take off. We taxied all the way down. She's still thumping that thing. You know, I could tell it bothered her. And so we get all the way down to that taxi strip and we made the turn and it's just a little short piece of uh, runway that connects the two and made that turn. And she said, you know what? I'm not going to fly today. She said, this, I'm not, I don't know, she, that's not what she said. No, she said, I'm not, I, something about this is not right. 
She said, I need to go back and talk to him again. And we were just seconds really from taking off because there was nobody else flying at that particular time. So we turned around. It's getting hot in the airplane. We returned to the, uh, to the mechanic. She goes in. And this time when she described it, he said, oh, I misunderstood you. I misunderstood what you, what, how you described it. He said, what you're telling me now, and it's exactly what she described the first time, but he didn't, he didn't understand her. He, she said, he said, oh, no, no, you can't fly like that. Very dangerous. Do not, you cannot fly. You have to have this in, have this looked at. Well, she had gone to the mechanic, and he gave her the go-ahead. It would have been real easy to just, well, you know, the mechanic says it's okay. and Go ahead and fly. Could have been a, a, a terrible situation. But you know, the spirit of God, I tell you what, we need the Holy Ghost alerting us in prayer. How often things happen that, that shouldn't happen simply because we didn't take time to pray. And in most of these situations, it, it, it was an hour or less. And about the airplane, it wasn't really that much. I just prayed a little bit about Amy the night before. I just prayed a little bit about it. Just, you know, something didn't seem right. Then it seemed to have something to do with, with, uh, with Amy. Well, you know, these, it's following the Holy Spirit is effective. No matter what degree of praying we, we enter into. Whether it's just praying in the Spirit. Whether there seems to be a strong leading and a strong burden or a light burden. Go ahead and give yourself to it. Amen. It pays off. Glory to God. So sometimes you'll, you'll find that prayer is very uh, quiet and you can just pray quietly within yourself. Sometimes you can just pray and, and, and just pray in on the inside. You can do that at work. Amen. You can do that uh, a lot of times. And then other times you'll find that the burden is intensified and, and you just feel like I've got to get off someplace by myself if you are around people where I can really unburden my heart. Well, if that's, if that's the... If that's how the spirit moves, then you need to yield to that. And sometimes it'll go from praying in tongues or it might go over into these groanings that we're talking about. But uh, regardless of the situation, we need to be led by the spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now go with me over to, uh, go back to Galatians chapter four again. Galatians chapter four. By the way, Greg did do exactly what I knew he would do. He would ski off outside the, the, the regular uh, uh, trails like he always does because he likes to, you know, be adventurous. It's the nice way of saying it. And uh, on that ski trip, he, now he didn't take the youth out there. He went with some of the adult leaders that, that are better skiers, and they went to some of these real narrow little non-trails that they make and uh, in the trees and so forth, among the trees. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's just the way he skis. Well, you know, one false move and you can be impaled on a tree. And uh, it's very dangerous. So, you know, uh, thank God we had prayed because that's the way he does. He needs lots of prayer. Amen. Kept me busy growing up, that's for sure. Hallelujah. Galatians 4, verse 19 says, My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Like we said this morning, the Apostle Paul 
is doing something here that he had already done before. He said, I'm laboring in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Evidently, he had uh, labored in groanings and intercession uh, before, and that resulted in their being born again, but now they're attempting to go back. They're, they're, they're going in the wrong direction. They're going in the opposite direction, trying to get back under the law. And so he said, I had to pray this again. Well, uh, this kind of, of praying is sometimes necessary. And when it's necessary, it's just necessary. And, and when the Spirit calls for it, then nothing else will, uh, will, will meet the need. Amen? Now, hold your place here in uh, Galatians 4 and go over to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. Hallelujah. Isaiah 66, and look at verse, we'll look at verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8, Isaiah 66, 7 and 8. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? In other words, that's impossible. Do you follow that? He said what he just described in verse 7, you you never see that. That's not the way it works. A a woman uh, gives birth as a result of labor. Amen? She doesn't give birth before she goes in labor. So he's saying that that, uh, who has heard such a thing, who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring, let's read verse 9. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I cause delivery? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? Now, what this verse is primarily talking about is the birth of the nation of Israel. And almost all uh, Bible commentators will agree that that's what this is talking about. But uh, what a lot of people fail to see is that a lot of times Old Testament prophecy had a natural uh, application and fulfillment. But there was also a spiritual application and a spiritual fulfillment. Now, the church is not... Like some people describe, the church is not, quote, unquote, spiritual Israel. We are not spiritual. Israel is Israel. The church is the church. So we're not a spiritual version of Israel. But the promises and the prophecies and the things that uh, many of them that were said about Israel, uh, there's an application of that over in the church age. You'll notice it says, for as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children, talking about the nation of Israel. But hold your place here and go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And let's start in verse number 18. Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to the mountain that, was t- that may be touched and that burned with fire... And to blackness and darkness and tempest. This is a reference to Mount Sinai where Moses received the law. 
He said, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and to the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Notice he said, you've not come to Mount Sinai. Look at verse number 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of men, of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So he's saying, you have come to Mount Zion, to Mount Zion and he equates Mount Zion, among other things, as the church. Notice verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. So here you can see that, uh, that Zion in the Old Testament would have a double reference. It's talking about Israel in the Old Testament, but there's a spiritual application today where Zion applies to the church. Can you see that? Well, there, we need to go back then to Isaiah and look at this again. For as soon as Zion was in labor, this is Isaiah 66, 8. For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. You know, a lot of churches today boast of the number of people coming to Christ. There, there's, a, there's a real uh, uh, movement today in the the visible church in the in the in the body of Christ there's a real movement uh where certain churches are experiencing phenomenal growth and a lot of these mega churches are just expanding and in very rapidly and uh very often they they boast of all of the great numbers of people who are coming to Christ but in fact I'm concerned that a lot of times what, what we're seeing is many conversions. People are being converted to Christianity, but a conversion is not a new birth. Amen. When, when there is a trend today uh, in churches, and, and it's a trend of compromise, compromise on truth, compromise on doctrine, compromise on standards. And it's, it's just... Uh, no coincidence that these churches are the fastest growing churches in America. The churches that, like I said, that have no standard, that want to accept everybody. You know, it, 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 as, as a local church, we have to be accepting of everyone, but we want everyone to come as they are, but not stay as they came. Amen. Amen. And if someone is not interested in change, if they're not interested in, in moving on with God, if they're not interested in a change in, in their life, I'm not interested in somebody coming to my church so they can say, look here, you know, I go to a church, 
even though I have this ungodly lifestyle, I'm in church and people accept me and everything's okay. I don't want to be a part of that mistaking acceptance. I don't want to be a part of them uh, thinking that they have the okay of God when they're living a life that's contrary to his will. Now, let me clarify. I'm not talking about somebody who comes and they're, they're wanting to overcome. And they're wanting to change. And sometimes that is a long process. If you don't believe it, just take a memory of your own self. Amen. The journey's not over, is it? Amen. So we have compassion for people. As long as their heart is to do right. But, there are, but, but the, the largest churches in America today that are growing so rapidly have, have eliminated all standards. Everybody is welcome, regardless of your lifestyle, regardless of what you believe. You're well, we want you to come and be a part. They boast a lot of people coming to Christ, but again, it's, it's more than, it's really just conversions. It's not new births. Amen. Jesus said, the Bible doesn't say anything about conversions. In fact, conversions aren't even mentioned in the Bible. What is mentioned is new births. Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, in order for births to take place, there has to be a birthing process. It says here in Isaiah, for as soon as Zion was in labor, the older translation says, as soon as Zion travailed, I think, she gave birth to her children. Kenneth Hagin made this statement. He said, you cannot have birth without having travail. The picture here is of a woman having a baby. Now, I do not mean, he said, I do not mean that the one, that one must come to the altar and travail to be born again. The baby does not birth itself. But for true births out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, some person somewhere has travailed. If you want to know why we're not having more births, and, and when I made my notes, I, I wrote it this way, but I had to change it. If you know why there are not more births happening in churches, real births happening in churches today, I had to change that. You know why we're not having more new births in our church? It's because there's so little real travail and groaning in the spirit. For as soon as Zion travailed, she gave birth, birth to her children. That's why there's not more new births. That's why people attend our services who aren't saved and they come in and they go out just like they, just like they came. And you know, the spirit of God's dealing with them. And I give invitations and I know in my spirit, there are people sometimes in our services, I know they need to respond, but they don't. Well, what's the cause? What's the reason? Not enough real travail in the spirit. Not enough groaning in the spirit. Story I, I started to tell you earlier. Brother Hagen said that he, he went to this church years, many, many years ago. And he said this church was just really growing. He said the auditorium was packed on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Several hundred people, you know, just a real growing church. 
And he preached, you know, a series of meetings there. And then he left and he came back about a year later and, and the church was a fraction of what it was. It was like 80 people there on Sunday morning, about 35 people on Sunday night. This church had been, you know, hundreds of people, the auditorium packed. And, and so he asked somebody in, that he knew from when he was there before us, he said, you know, what happened to your church? And they said, well, I don't know if you remember old sister so-and-so. So this, uh, this old woman had been in our church for years and she was frequently in the altar at the ends of services, groaning and travailing in prayer for people. And he said, since you left, we have a new pastor. And the pastor got up after a couple of weeks and, and referring to her, he said, you know, we're not going to have any more of this. This is out of order. We're not going to have this. And he put a stop to it. And there was no more travail, no more groaning, no more births. It's, it's important. Now, like I've said, I, I, and I keep coming back to this word of caution because I, I need you to understand this. This can only be accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you or I can work up. But, and, and people got into error about that in the 1980s and, and into the 90s. Like I said, they were... They were, when Brother Hagin taught on this, this message just really took off. And back in the, in the 80s, there was a, a real uh, move of intercession, but the leaders of it got it into the ditch. They started having intercession meetings. Brother Hagin came back and said, no, it's unscriptural to have an intercession meeting. You, have, you meet and have a prayer meeting. And there's all different kinds of prayer. You pray what the Spirit gives you to pray. It might be supplication, it might be intercession, it might be uh, prayer of faith, it might be the prayer of consecration. Pray as the Spirit gives direction. Well, see, uh, as a result of what Brother Hagin taught, a lot of people got hold of it, but they, they began to think that intercession was the only kind of praying. That you really weren't praying unless you were interceding. And you really weren't praying unless you were groaning and, and, and so forth in, in other tongues and groaning in the spirit. So they started conducting groaning meetings. I remember, I didn't go to any of them, but I remember them. Yeah, we're going to get together at such and such a hotel ballroom, you know, and, and we're going to have a groaning meeting. We're all going to come and groan in the spirit. Well, you can't, you can't orchestrate that. You can't plan that. You can see how that would get off and, and get squirrely and get into extremism. Then they were going to have birthing meetings. They went from groaning meetings to birthing meetings. And we're all going to get together and we're going to birth. Well, like I said this morning, you can't, a woman doesn't give birth unless she's pregnant. I've noticed that too, that most births take place in private. <laughs> Isn't that right? That, that's not usually a public manifestation. <laughs> Hopefully not. Isn't that right? And, and so it, it's un, it would be unscriptural to think that we're just going to meet together, you know, every Monday night and have groaning meetings and birthing meetings. That, that wouldn't, that wouldn't, it wouldn't follow the illustration that's offered. See what I'm saying? But on the other hand, as soon as Zion travailed, she gave birth to her children. Like Brother Hagin said, for, for people to be born again, somebody somewhere has to enter into travail for that person. Most of us have no idea who that was for us. 
For me, I know it was my mom. That might have been my dad also. My dad was killed when I was 11. And so I don't remember much about him praying specifically for me. I have a lot of, uh, of, uh, testimonies of how godly a man he was and respected and all that in the church. But I, I just don't remember that much. But I remember as a teenager, I remember, and I hated it at the time. I didn't want anything to do with it. But I remember hearing my mom in her bedroom night after night after night, praying in the spirit and calling my name. And I, and I would hear she would just pray in tongues and pray in tongues and just weep and cry and groan. And every now and then I'd hear my name. I used to just aggravate me. I said, leave me alone. Would you just leave me alone? And if the truth were known, there's somebody somewhere in prayer. When people are being saved, it's a result of somebody somewhere praying people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's, uh, it's, it's something that we have to learn. Brother Hagin made this statement. This, all, this is all in, in, in this book, The Art of Prayer. He said, there's something out here in this area we need to learn again. The art of intercession is a lost art among us. He made a mention earlier in the book. He said, first generation Pentecostals understood this. Second generation Pentecostals knew a little bit about it. Third generation Pentecostals, and I would be a third generation Pentecostal. My grandmother was, was involved in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit right after the turn of the 20th century. But I'm a third generation. He said, third generation Pentecostals know almost nothing about it. And then he went on to say, charismatics absolutely know nothing about it. But here he said, there's something out here in this area we need to learn again. The art of intercession is a lost art among us. We'll never really have the depth of the move of the Spirit of God until we have that kind of intercession. Amen. That's, it's, I tell you, it's important. In order for people to be saved, it's not enough. Just say, oh Lord, save people. Because people are bound. People are bound. The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who, believe, who do not believe. And it talks about the rulers of the darkness of this world. And, and these evil spirits and the rulers of the darkness of this world, they have people bound. John said over in the fifth chapter of 1 John, he said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Every unsaved person is bound by the devil. Now some people are more bound in certain sins and certain iniquities and certain uh, habits and so forth are more bound than others in those areas. But every unsaved person is bound. By the devil, they're bound. The darkness has blinded them. And to just pray, oh, God, save so-and-so. Well, you know, if, if, if that's all it took, why don't we just join hands and say, God, save every unsaved person in America this week. Amen. Well, that's not the way it happens. The, the prayer of faith won't get this done. These are the, the rules that apply to these other kind of prayings uh, uh, are necessary to get these results that, that you can't get through the prayer of faith. If we could pray that way, we could just pray and, and the Lord would just save everybody. 
but no people are bound. And in order to set them free, it takes spiritual effort. Aided by the Holy Spirit. We're so uh, in reliance. We rely so much on the help of the Holy Spirit. He takes hold together with us against our, our failures in prayer. Well, that's a partnership. He's taking hold together with us. We can't do it with, without him, but he can't do it without us. If we're not doing our part, he has nothing to take hold together with. He, he doesn't have anything to, to take hold with. He, told, he takes hold together with us. As we take hold, he takes hold. Amen. And so uh, I, I want to encourage you to yield to the Holy Ghost. Give place to the Spirit. Follow those, those inner uh, leadings. Sometimes it'll be very gentle, like I've explained. Other times it'll be very strong. Uh, you know, there have been times when I have, I have had that, that burden come on me and I've sensed those groanings and, I, and all I could do was just hold my, my belly like this, this and just groan. Uh, for people in need, particularly people that are lost. I just knew it was somebody that was not right with God. And, and when this happens, sometimes when, when you get to that place, that's where true identification begins to work. You begin to step over into that person's situation. You begin to, to feel what they feel and you begin to carry their need. At times like that, I've had it happen to me where I, I, I know I'm saved. I'm filled with the spirit. I'm a, I'm a pastor. And yet in prayer, I feel like I'm lost. Feel like I, I there's, there's this emptiness and this horror and this in horror and this, in this, in this sorrow. Well, I know that's not coming from me. It's not something that's, that's originating in me. It, it, I'm taking that burden and that other person. That's what God needs us to do from time to time. So that's where he's taken us. Amen. That's where he's, he's taking us. We're not taking ourselves. It's as the Spirit leads and as the Spirit wills. Amen. That's where he's taking us. And uh, greater things can come than have ever come before as we learn more about this. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.